Did he really just die? He said he was the Messiah. Like, I believed him, the one that was going to come and free us. I listened to everything that he taught about the kingdom of heaven, and it just made sense. I watched all the miracles that there's no way he faked any of those things. But there he is on the cross. And when they came to get him, he didn't fight back at all. He just let them take him, and they beat him, and nailed him to that cross. He's been up there for six hours, and I'm pretty sure I saw him breathe his last. Because I haven't seen him move in quite a while. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? You know, I see some of the soldiers, they're going up, and I'm, I just got word that apparently some of the Jewish people don't want all the bodies on the crosses on Sabbath. So they asked Pilate, hey, can we break the legs so that way they'll, they'll all die? And so he gave them permission. And the soldiers, they're up there, and one of the robber's legs have been broken, and the other. But they walk to Jesus, and they don't break his legs. In fact, they're having a conversation, and I think they... They're pretty sure he's dead. But just to make sure, I see one of them grab a spear and they thrust it into his side and Jesus doesn't flinch at all. And when they pull the spear out, not only do I see blood, but there's a mixture of water in there as well. He's for sure dead. There's no questioning that. I came to Passover to celebrate that God had rescued our people so many years ago from the Egyptians. And I was sure that he was about to do it again. But I guess I'm wrong. Man, what do I do now? I'm, I'm so scared. I'm hurt. I'm angry. Like, like, like the things that he said and then the angry at myself that I believed him. And, and what if they come after me now? What am I going to do? And yet even as I wait here for a little while, now I see someone else that I know. His name is Joseph. He's a member of the Jewish council, and he's rich. He also is a believer in Jesus, but he's going up to the cross to do something. And Matthew tells us about it in chapter 27, starting at verse 57. It says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And so there goes, there goes Joseph, but he also has a man named Nicodemus with him. And they two together take Jesus' body down and they take it to Joseph's tomb that's never been used. They wrap him in 75 pounds of spices. And then they roll the rock in front of the entrance down into the little V grave so that way it can't be moved very easily. And over here, the women are still watching from a distance, just taking it all in. In fact, I hear them talk about that they're going to go and prepare some spices for the day after Sabbath as they plan to come back to see Jesus' body. Sabbath. This day that's meant for resting and for keeping it holy to remember God, this day to worship Him. Can I be honest? I don't feel much like resting right now. I definitely don't feel much 
like worshiping Sabbath. Well, some of the other Jews, they go to Pilate with a purpose on Sabbath. In fact, if we keep reading in Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 62, it says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I will rise again. And so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Well, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So these Jewish leaders are like, hey, we don't want anyone taking Jesus' body and then creating this rumor all about what's going to happen because, man, dealing with that will be worse than everything that we've had to deal with up to this point. And so Pilate sends guards and sends the seal, and so that way it's marked and there's no way to get in without people knowing that someone has gotten into the tomb. That was Sabbath. But very early the next day, oh, the events begin. The events that to say are unbelievable might be an understatement. And so the women, they are heading on the way towards the tomb when it all begins. In Matthew 28, starting at verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The guards are standing there, and they weren't quite ready for what happened. And this angel comes back, rolls away the stone. And these guards, after shaking and being terrified, they go off running. They run to the chief priest, and they're talking about what they saw. And so they all come up with this big lie, this story to tell people, so that way they're not going to think that, yeah, Jesus really rose from the dead. And so we're going to tell people that the disciples came and stole the body. Really? Like, did you see how afraid we were? Like we all ran away and like we're going to have enough courage to go before these guards and try to break in. Yeah, that's kind of unbelievable. But the women, they were on their way to the tomb, probably close enough that they felt the earthquake when everything happened. And as they arrive, the big stone has already been moved away. But they don't know what happens. And they run into the tomb and they see that there is no body there. But then they notice two angels. And one of them begins to speak. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 5, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. But suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. 
And so the women, they, they saw all of this, they saw Jesus, and they come running to tell all of his disciples. And even for them, some of them believed more than others at that moment, and they come to tell us, we didn't believe. I mean, can you blame us? Listen to the message. Someone rose from the dead. We want that to happen, but like, how many times have you actually seen someone rise from the dead? And again, in our culture, women's testimony was not as much. And so again, we didn't really believe. But Peter and John, they said, let's go see this for ourselves. And they took off running to go to the tomb. And as they got there, they looked inside and they see the head dressing just all folded up nice and neat. And they see the strips of linen lying there. And that's not what would happen if grave robbers came and took the body. And John himself said, and he began to believe, even though he would also tell you he didn't understand everything at that moment. Now in your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24, or on your devices, Luke 24. Because you see, up to this point, Jesus has shown himself to the women. But he's about to show himself to two more people in a conversation along a road. And so in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, this is what we read. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who, who said he was alive. And when some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And so he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And so these men uh, we're walking along with Jesus, their eyes being kept by God from being able to know who he was. But then when he revealed himself, man, 
their minds were opened up and they're like, we'd heard all this scripture and it was burning within us. And so they don't just keep it to themselves. They run back those seven miles to get to Jerusalem to make sure they tell all the disciples, tell us what they had seen. I'd like to tell you we still believed, but we didn't. And in fact, they even told us that at some point Jesus had appeared to Peter himself. But while we're still there in our disbelief, trying to figure all this out, in this room that is locked because we're still kind of afraid, Jesus himself shows up in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. While they were still speaking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Well, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, that Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And Jesus was right there, and we still had trouble believing. Like maybe, maybe he's a ghost, and that's why he chose to eat something, to say, I'm not a ghost. And as he continued to open up the scriptures, we understood who he was. In fact, one of our friends, Thomas, wasn't there with us. Later he would, and, and he'd see the hands and the feet as well. And some people give him a hard time about doubting, but to be honest, all of us did that. But at that moment, we would see him a few more times before he were to go back up into heaven. That moment, though, he's standing right in front of us. We can see him with our own eyes, and yet we even still struggled to believe, is this real is this too good to be true? And I would tell you that in that moment, we're still kind of shocked. But as the truth were to uh, fully get into our hearts and our minds, that event, the resurrection of Jesus, will change our lives forever. So I don't know how much you've ever put yourself in the shoes of the 12 disciples or the women who had been following him for three years when we think about kind of this Easter season because we knew the end of the story. But on Friday and Saturday, they hadn't put all the pieces together. Even though Jesus had told them beforehand, they hadn't understood it all. And just imagine just some of their thoughts as far as, man, I have been following him for three years. Wherever he led, like I went, we went to these different places, endured these different things. Like I've sacrificed for him, some of them jobs, and going, this is what I'm doing. Like think about how they had attached their identity to him. Like I am a follower of this rabbi, of Jesus, and now all of a sudden, he's gone. Think about just this idea of the future. I knew he was going to be the Messiah and everything that was going to happen. And maybe I was going to be famous. Who knows? And all of that is gone in an instant. And so now the word that I imagine that all of them were feeling was hopeless. 
Like in that Friday, in that Saturday, just this feeling of hopelessness. And you and I, we won't feel the exact same situation. Well, I guess unless there's someone that comes around like right now and begins preaching that they're the Messiah and you put your faith in them and you start falling after them and then they die. If you do, well, you shouldn't do that. So anyway, but I want you to know, like we don't, are not going to feel the exact same situation. But when I use the word hopeless, hmm, sometimes we've been in that spot before. Like maybe it's for a small amount of time, maybe it's for a large amount of time, but that's the feeling that we've had. And so for some of us who are in here watching right now, like the area of our hopelessness for those few moments or whatever was kind of like Mary in that we lost a child. Like that's not right. You should never have to watch your own child pass away. But for some reason, for some instance, it happened. And so that's the moment that you just felt maybe hopeless. Or maybe it wasn't that drastic, but maybe there are just medical issues, there are sicknesses with your child, and you want to do whatever you can to help them. And so you're taking them to all these doctors, and and you're coming alongside them, but it just feels like you can't do anything. And the word that you would use in that moment is, I just feel hopeless. Maybe it has nothing to do with your kids, but it's your own health. And so there you are trying to figure out this thing. Maybe there's surgeries. Maybe it's just something that you've been living with for a long time. You've gone to all the doctors. You've tried all the different medicines. And the word that you feel at the end of the week is just simply hopeless. Or maybe that word hopeless is attached to your marriage. Like you feel right now that you're stuck. Like you feel like there is no direction forward. There is no desire to move forward. In fact, you would say, yeah, if you take a step back and look at your marriage, there's no love whatsoever in the word that you feel is hopeless. Or maybe it's still with family, but not your marriage. And so maybe there are things that your kids are choosing and it's not what you have raised them to choose, but they're just continuing to make these choices and it breaks your heart. Or maybe now that they're older, you're watching them and and they are not doing the things that you called them to do. Or maybe you still have lots of little ones and it just seems chaotic all the time and you just feel completely hopeless. Or maybe it's more about extended family. Man, you haven't talked to such and such for so long just because of the troubles that have happened. Or when you do get together, the tension that is there that when you leave, you just kind of go, man, that was hopeless. Maybe for you, the word hopeless is tied into your job. Like you kind of just feel like you have to do it day in and day out, but as you go, you just feel like your coworkers just seep any kind of energy and passion out of you, but you feel like there's no other options and so you just feel stuck. Or maybe it's finances. And so maybe it's because of bad choices that you made at one time, or it's just because of life circumstances. Like everything seems so tight. And the pressure that you feel just trying to make it to the next paycheck to provide for your family is just so overwhelming. And you've been doing it for so long that it feels hopeless. Maybe what it is, is there's an addiction. Whether it's for you, whether it's for a family member, whether it's for a friend, And no matter how much you want to kick it, you can't. And it feels like the grip that it has on you, there's nothing you can do to loosen it. And it just feels hopeless. 
maybe it has nothing to do with any of those things, but maybe you just step back and you kind of look at the world. You're like, do you realize everything that has happened that either COVID brought up or it brought into light? Do you see just the wars that continue to happen and what people are doing to other people? Do you see just the political nature, even of our own country, that there's no middle ground? It's this versus this and everything's an argument. And you just look at the trajectory and you feel like it's going downward and you're like, everything just seems hopeless. And maybe there's one of those things or a mixture of those things. And sometimes it causes us to feel grief. We're trying to figure out how do we work through whatever it is. And sometimes, sometimes if we feel completely hopeless, it leads us to either thoughts of or the carrying out of suicide. In fact, statistics tell us that in the Wichita area, suicide rates are 71% higher than they were pre-COVID. Do you want to just talk about hopelessness? Or maybe it's just something very individual and you just kind of look at yourself and like, I just feel completely messed up. Like I put on the good face on the outside, but I just feel like I cannot control anything. I can't fix it. And like I'm coming here even to a church on Easter, hoping that maybe the message of Jesus is something that I need. But like, how could God love me? And the word that you feel is hopeless. You know, at the disciples, that's what they felt. Friday and Saturday. But the message of the resurrection, it brings hope. The resurrection brings us hope, and that's why we celebrate. You see, Jesus was not just a glorified martyr. Instead, he was a conquering savior, saying that everything is within my hands. I am powerful over it all. And so Jesus came to bring hope. That word hope is found 79 times in the New Testament. And we kind of understand hope, but along with that word, it has this idea of expectation that something is going to happen. And that's what we need. Man, on those days that we've messed up, man, I just need a new start tomorrow morning. Hey, God's promise is that his mercies are new every morning. We have hope. Or maybe there's something going on that you just feel completely wiped out. Maybe it's life overall, and you just don't feel like you even have strength. God says, I'm coming in, and I will give you what you need to take the next step. Because of him, we have hope. Maybe there's even some decision that you're having to make, or just, again, some circumstance that you feel completely burdened. Man, it is heavy that you are carrying it on your shoulders. And Jesus comes in and says, I promise you, rest. Because of his promise, you have hope. Maybe it's just simply going, you know, with everything that's going on, like I understand who God is and that he is faithful and that he keeps every single one of his promises. And so because of that, I have hope. Or I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family this week or provide in this situation, but I see that God says, as long as you follow after me, I will take care of you. And so I have hope. Or even just, I feel all alone, but I hear that God, the God of the universe, wants to listen to me and Jesus has made a way. And so no matter how busy everything else is going on, Jesus is not too busy for me. He wants to listen to me and he cares about everything going on in my life. And so there's hope or even forgiveness. You know, no amount of guilt and shame that could continue to try to tell me who I was or tear me down has any power because Jesus has said, nope, that which was crimson, I now wash white as snow. You are my child and I have forgiveness. Whew. There is hope in that. I will tell you some of those situations that I mentioned earlier. We won't always get every answer to the whys 
You know, God, why is this going on with my family? Why did this have to happen with my job? We're not going to get every one of those answers while we're here on this earth. But I can tell you that we can have hope. And there's so many times that I'm sitting there talking with someone when they're going through one of those difficult moments in life. And I'm not the one to bring it up, but someone almost always says, I have no idea how someone makes it through this without Jesus. And it's not because religion or Jesus, this relationship is a crutch whatsoever, but it's because through him, through the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. And in fact, I look at the disciples and their life was not easy after the resurrection, but every single one of them would tell you that it was worth it because of the hope, because of the expectation they had of what was to come. In fact, Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is, all, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so he said, here you go. Look at the resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I, we can have this new foundation of hope. We can have this new life that only God gives to us. And we are promised this inheritance, this one that can never be taken away from us. It will not be shaken because the foundation is strong. It is in him. And so you can be confident of that. And the faith that then we have, we are protected by God. His hand is upon us all the way up until the fullness of the salvation. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not over. It's not over. We have hope. And so some of you right now are in Friday. And I don't mean literal Friday, but I mean you're like the disciples and something in your life, you're like, God, what is my next step? What are you doing? Or maybe you're on Saturday and you have been crying out to God and it just seems like he's silent, like he's not working at all. And you're like, God, I need you now. May I remind you to listen. To listen to hope as he calls out. And it may be in a whisper, but more often than not, he is screaming out to you that Sunday is coming that Jesus is alive and that because of that, everything is going to be okay. Will there be some difficult times still? Yes. But will there be hopeless times? No. Because of Jesus, we will always have hope. And so some of you today, like again, if you're being honest, you're like, I feel pretty hopeless right now. I feel pretty stuck. And so for two things, one, if you want someone to pray for you, then during this next song, I encourage you to go to the decision point to have someone pray alongside of you. But for some of you, you'd be like, I have never chosen Jesus, so I've never gotten to experience this new birth, this hope, this confidence that no matter what happens in life, that it's going to be okay because I know the outcome. And if that's you and you want to choose him today, you want to surrender your life and let him lead, then I encourage you to go to one of the decision points as well so that we can help you with that. Ah, hope. Man, it can get you through a lot of difficult times, but it's not a crutch. It is one that we can be confident in, and it all happens because of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's stand and sing to the one who is our living hope.